I want to talk to you today about an idea of judgment, okay? Judgment's the name of the sermon, and judgment is what I'm talking about. Now, to be clear, I'm not going to tell you to judge people, right? That's off limits. And what's more, if when I'm talking about injustices, you feel yourself saying, yeah, you guys are doing that, then you're not listening to me rightly, okay? Because I'm going to talk about injustices, injustices that we participate in and the consequences of participating in those injustices, all of us. You know, I consider myself to be a person of privilege, and my personal struggle in life is to figure out a way to achieve salvation despite the fact that I'm a privileged person. And the gospel, we're going to talk about it a little bit, has some advice on how to do that. But I think this is a warning for all of us, okay? To think about how we can be people of power and still achieve salvation. Usually, the kinder, nicer way to talk about this is we say, if you do these things, you achieve salvation, right? That's the more polite way to talk about things. But as Christians, we also have to acknowledge that the scripture talks about judgment. It talks about consequences for failing to do God's work. And so today, I'm going to talk about those consequences. Let me say this too, folks. Sometimes I'm afraid that there's very little left of the ministry of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about a fossil. And this is what happens with a fossil. You have a living thing, right, that slowly, over time, has inanimate minerals replace the components of that living thing. And so what you're left with is something that looks like a tree, but is a rock. It looks alive, but it is dead. And sometimes I fear that in our church, not First Christian or Chalice or even the disciples, but in the church of Christ Jesus that lives in the world today, we have allowed dead, inanimate things like tradition, like cultural rules, replace the living gospel, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of resurrection that Jesus Christ spoke, the truth to power that led to a man marching on Jerusalem and dying on a cross because he believed so strongly in what he believed. So we're going to examine that today, and we're going to examine ways that we can avoid turning into a rock. This is the way Dr. Martin Luther King put it in the letter to the Birmingham jail, from the Birmingham jail. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. That's the judgment of God, my friends. That's God's judgment when we fail to live up to what we are supposed to be. Because honestly, we're not Buddhists or practitioners of transcendental meditation or secular humanists. We proclaim the Christ and we proclaim that there is salvation and there is judgment. Let's, let's listen a little bit to what comes from Revelation, which is a book we usually shy away from. I'll be honest with you, right? But I want you to listen to these are the words as a part of our gospel tradition passed forward to us. Then I saw a great white throne, 
and on one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great, small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. They were judged according to their works. And the sea gave up its dead, and they were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead, and they were there in it. And all were judged according to what they had done. They were judged according to what they were done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Book of life, lake of fire. Now, I'm not going to be overly coy with you folks. I don't know exactly what lake of fire means. Okay? Right? There are different translations to what the idea of living in hell means. There's different understandings. And we're disciples, and I leave that to you to come to your understanding of what that means. But the idea that there is no middle ground. There is doing what is righteous, and then there is condemnation. There is salvation, and there is judgment. That is the reality that we as Christians proclaim and that we as Christians should respond to. So that's enough of the scare tactic. Let's look into it a little bit here and figure out what we're supposed to do, shall we? I'm going to tell you three gospel stories today that will help us understand what we are supposed to do so that we can take the path of salvation and not the path of judgment, okay? The first is the rich young man. This, uh, this is a story from Luke. And Luke has this rich young man come up to Jesus saying, Jesus, what do I need for eternal life? Right? And at first he's ready. He's got some good answers, right? Because Jesus says, hey, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. The rich young man is very happy. He's done all these things. Right? And now Jesus is excited because he loves the rich young man. Right? And then Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's all he had to do, right? He's that close to eternal life. But can he do it? No. He can't do it. And he walks away sad because he's seen what it means to have eternal life and he can't do it because he can't surrender his power. Because he wants to hold on to his power. Okay? Let's take about another story of Lazarus and the rich man. Okay? This comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. We've got a story where we have Lazarus who's a beggar. And the story is kind of flipping things on the head right away because they tell you the name of the homeless guy. And they don't tell you the name of the rich guy. He's just the rich guy. Okay? So we start off where things are going to be upside down, right? Lazarus is a beggar. He dies. Abraham takes him up to heaven. The rich man is sent to hell. Hades. Okay? But it's, it's, it's the hell you know of. It's hot. He's suffering, right? And the rich man says to Abraham, P.S., notice he's not talking to Lazarus still, which kind of annoys me. I mean, you're in hell, and you can't show the man some respect and speak to him directly. (laughs) And you're in hell. Any case, he speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, would you ask Lazarus to go dip his, his, his finger in the water and so he can just touch my tongue so I can just get that little bit of relief? Which seems pretty reasonable, I suppose. Abraham says, no, I'm not going to let him do it. He says, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. 
But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. But that's not all. Besides all this, between you and I is such a great chasm, so that those who might want to pass from it cannot do so, and no one can cross from here to there. You see, the rich man didn't give up his power, and so he found himself so separated from Abraham that they couldn't even cross to reach him. He tries one more thing. He says, Abraham, please let me go back and tell my brothers so that they can live well. Does Abraham let him go back and tell his brothers? No. Because Abraham says they've had the prophets and they've heard Moses and they still continue their wicked ways. And then we get into a little foreshadowing element here on the part of uh, on the part of Mark, because he says, what if I came back from the dead? And Abraham says, even if somebody came back from the dead, they wouldn't listen to him. So, it's a little on the nose. So that's the story of Lazarus and Abraham. Notice this is the second time we have a person who's denied salvation because they cannot give up their power. And then we had the reading from today. And if you noticed, I kind of switched it up a little bit. I had Rhonda not read the happy part. Right? There's a happy part at the beginning. Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. It's very happy. When I was hungry, you gave me. You know, that's fantastic. Enter into the kingdom. That's beautiful. It's a hymn, right? We don't sing a hymn about this second part. Right? Let me read it again, just so it would be fresh in our minds. Because the second part is when Jesus now goes and looks back to the people on his left. You are accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Lest there's any confusion about what we're talking about. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. Listen up to this part. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also answered, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or naked or a stranger or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? He will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do this to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment. But the righteous will live eternally. So this is a third story we have, folks, of people that are not helping others. Right? who are hanging on with a white-knuckle grip onto their power. And according to Jesus Christ, you don't get salvation if you do that. Okay? So we need to put action to these concepts. We need to make these words come alive. All right? And to do that, I'm going to talk to you about some injustices. Now remember, when I told you at the beginning... Don't think these, don't point out with these injustices. Don't think, oh, that guy is doing things that are unjust. Think about yourself and where you are doing things that are unjust. Think about ways that you have benefited from these things that I'm about to talk about. Because we live in a time of disparity of power. Okay? So I'm going to talk about, first, the first power I want to talk about is, is, um, um, just based on race, there's power. I know it's controversial, and I'm sorry, folks. I guess this is the advantage of me not being a minister. I'll go ahead and be controversial for a little bit. All right? 12.5%, the uh, black population is 12.5% in, in the United States of America. 12.5%. Okay? 
1% of Fortune 500 CEOs are black. 2% of US senators are black. Well, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe that's just the people at the top, right? 25% of black Americans live below the poverty line. Only 10% of white Americans do. Well, maybe there's some reason for that. Let's talk about incarceration. First off, we have a prison problem in the United States of America. In China, do you know how many people out of, out of 100 are incarcerated? A tenth. A tenth of a percent of the Chinese population is incarcerated. In Russia, it's a half a percent. In America, it's six-tenths of a percent. Six out of every, it's almost, um, not quite, it's like half a percent but more. So we incarcerate more people per capita than Russia does, right? In the state of Arizona, it's one percent. In the state of Arizona, one out of every hundred citizens or residents are incarcerated. It's ridiculous. For black men in our country, four and a half percent are incarcerated. One out of 22. Folks, that's a justice problem. That is a justice problem. Let's talk about something else. We all participate in Church World Service. Church World Service has done some work with helping people with immigration, and they've also done some help with helping people, refugees at the border. Church World Service reports that six people were detained outside of a hypothermia station shelter in the Rising Hope Mission Church in Alexandria, Virginia. This was a church where they were offering refuge to those who were suffering of hypothermia, and ICE detained people outside of it. That's a justice problem. Let's see if anybody else is left out. One of the areas that I've worked a lot for has been justice for LGBTQ folks. Okay? And we have seen with LGBT rights have increased, and we've seen some pride parades that happened this last year. Okay? But unfortunately, the directors of those parades didn't want to hear from the people of color. And even though they were making some business deals and they had some sponsors of people who were anti-immigrant and people who were um, invading the Dakota pipeline, the XL pipeline, they didn't want to make those deals because they now felt like maybe they were about to become mainstream. And so they made some deals that they shouldn't have to make, they should not have made. That's an exercise of power at the sake of your brothers and sisters. In this region, by the way, we voted to condemn 1070. We have worked hard for equality, racial equality within our region, right? However, when we talk about opening this table to LGBTQ people, so we're flipping it out on the other side, the congregations with people of color as the majority are the hardest congregations to make that move in. Even the oppressed, when given power, will assert it against other oppressed people. And that is dangerous. And we cannot tolerate that. And this is the point of my whole sermon here, is that we are culpable, whoever we are, when we allow that injustice to go forward. Dr. King said that he wasn't afraid of the White Citizens Brigade or the Ku Klux Klaner as much as he was afraid of the white moderate who was more devoted to order than justice. More devoted to order than justice. Sometimes we would like to be polite rather than righteous. 
And what I think our call as Christians is to reverse that and to do what is just instead of what is easy. All right, gang. I'm about done, but I want to finish up with one more tale of caution. And this comes from uh, Abraham Lincoln. So we feel that we are in a time of divide right now. I hope you do. We are in a time of divide, and I hope you feel that. The Civil War was when we literally started killing each other. And this is what Abraham Lincoln had to say in his second, second inaugural address. And I'm going to read it for you a little bit, and then we'll talk about it, because obviously the language is old. But I think the idea is, is important enough that I want to share it with you. Abraham Lincoln says, The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it might, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses. So Lincoln starts off by saying that God recognizes there's evil in the world, and he suggests that maybe American slavery is one of those evils. Now think about in your life, what are the evils that you live with and that you allow yourself to be advantaged by? Lincoln goes on. These offenses, which in the providence of God must needs come, but which have continued through his appointed time, now he wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. The President of the United States said in his second inaugural address that perhaps the Civil War, in which blood was spilled on both sides of the North and the South, was the punishment due because of the sin of slavery. This is the last part. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it remains to be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." Lincoln's point was that perhaps we deserved the Civil War. And perhaps the violence that came out of the Civil War is the judgment for that sin. I would like to think that the sins of power that we've discussed today can be remedied without such a dire consequence. I would like to think that each of us in our own capacity can find ways to be an agent of justice and avoid this sort of violent end and the violent suffering that we saw with the Civil War. But it's not unimaginable that that wouldn't be the case. And so what I want you to do today, when I send you out today, is I want you to think about ways that you can be a force for justice, you personally, and ways that our church can be a force for justice. So when you hear a racist or a homophobic comment, don't let it go. Say something about it. Speak out to the people that represent you. Find ways to make a difference in your community. Welcome refugees. Continue to work in the food pantries. Continue to visit those who are incarcerated. But recognize that it is your call as a Christian to be an agent of justice. As we Christians proclaim, 
Your immortal soul depends on it. Amen. Would you stand and join us for our song of responding? Holy